This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Hi, and welcome to Lends Me Your Ears, the podcast that takes a look at new, recent films in theaters and online and elsewhere, and then tries to connect them to films from the past and maybe introduce you to some titles you have not seen before. My name is Stephen Cook. I'm an arts writer here in Halifax, and my cohort here, introduce yourself. Um, I'm Karsten Knox. I'm a film writer. I've got a blog called Flaw in the Iris. You can find at halifaxbloggers.ca. And we were lucky enough to see the Bong Joon-ho film Parasite, which uh, blessed us with a sort of a longer run uh, locally after playing the festival circuit. Uh, sometimes those films don't always show up here, and we're very happy to see it. So as a result of that, we're going to take a deeper dive into Korean cinema on this edition of Lens Me Your Ears. Well, Stephen, here we are again. Uh, We spent some time watching films from South Korea, having been inspired by Parasite, Bong Joon-ho's can award winning film and now is is make, getting a lot of traction here in North America and and there's a lot of talk about this film being earning academy award nominations and uh, you know I have to admit I over the last 20 years or so I have seen uh, some South Korean films that have opened locally, I've seen some at the film festival, just sort of like a smattering. Um, more awareness of the growth of the industry there and, and the fact that many of their films are getting more international prestige, like it can, uh, recognition at film festivals and some box office uh, earnings uh and some cult fandom, I guess, but uh, but never really made a point of diving into the cinema in particular. But I I found it pretty rewarding this week to watch a number of films and and also just go back through I guess my my blog and and uh, and writings I'd done previously uh, and discover that I actually seen a few by prominent South Korean filmmakers. But but I, I'm glad that we're starting with Bong Joon Ho because of the films we saw and the filmmakers' work we've dived into this week. I would say that uh, Bong Joon-ho is head and shoulders above the others in terms of of skill and achievement. Um, and that's not to say there weren't a lot of great films out of South Korea. I've, I've enjoyed many of them, but there's something about his work in particular that really grabbed me. And that's saying, and I haven't even seen all of them. Like, I haven't seen Mother, I haven't seen Memories of Murder, and I haven't seen Barking Dogs Never Bite. But... Snowpiercer some years ago arrived here, and I really liked that. Also liked Okja, which is on Netflix now, and we watched, or we watched, I watched The Host for the first time this week. But let's start with Parasite because it's yeah. the film still in cinemas. Um, it was directed by Bong Joon Ho, written by Bong Joon Ho, and Han Jin Won, and. Uh, you know, the first thing about Parasite that struck me was that it had some sort of superficial similarities to a film that won awards at Cannes last year, the Japanese film Shoplifters, which was a drama about a family that sort of gets by on the margins of society in urban in an urban city um, by thievery and sort of underhand underhanded sort of con uh, artist uh, trickery but has a warm and supportive sort of core. And uh, and I mean, I there were we talked about Shoplifters. We both had some issues with it, but this film, imagine imagine Shoplifters, except if it was directed by, say, Quentin Tarantino. That Parasite goes in a whole other direction from <laughs> yes. Shoplifters. Uh, so, as I said, the comparison is, is 
fairly superficial just as a starting point. But I I had to see uh, Parasite twice to really get my head around it. Like the first time I was I was really enjoying the plot twists and the fact that I had no idea, you know, in the beginning of the third act, I really had no idea where it was going to go. And I just could feel the tension, the suspense uh, ratcheted up in a way that I really enjoyed uh, the story of these this foursome, this family uh, who live in a sub-basement and really struggle to make a way of it, though they are are basically a con con artist family, um, ingratiating themselves with this wealthy family who are a little naive, uh, especially the the mother of the house, the the lady of the house, and uh, and then they, they find their way in and then things go spectacularly wrong for pretty much everybody. Yeah, and and you you sort of know that they are, but you don't know how. And then when there's that moment where everything just gets turned on its head, and I love films that can totally just on the, uh, you know, in the blink of an eye can completely become, almost become a different film in a way, although you kind of know where it's going to go but there's there's that moment where just everything gets upended they think they've succeeded in their plot to kind of infiltrate the the home of this uh this uh, well-to-do family and then just the rug gets completely pulled out from under them in in ways that you even if you expected that something was going to happen maybe not quite in this fashion yeah and and i love that a film can still surprise me yeah absolutely and i think that's the thing about watching a number of of South Korean films uh, in in bulk is you start to notice patterns and there aren't a, I mean they they are quite free in adapting and pursuing different genres but well, a couple things I noticed that there are a number of stories here that are about class I think that must be without knowing uh, a whole lot about South Korean culture I would suggest that there is a lot of class issues being explored by the filmmakers um, and disparities in in the people the haves and the haves nots. Uh, and there's also, yeah, this freedom of tone. Like there are things that go on in in some of these movies where at one point it's a it's a total broad comedy, and then then ten minutes later it's heavily melodramatic and intense and suspenseful and sad. Uh, and and they have no trouble shifting gears in a way that uh, I don't know that a Hollywood filmmaker would be allowed to get away with because the marketing department couldn't sell it. They yeah. couldn't, it's way, way, you can't, you can't tell these stories easily. They are, they are all over the place. Yeah. There's kind of a bait and switch sort of thing happening. And, and, uh, and the great thing is that, you know, like, like uh, Bong Joon-ho has gone from success to success uh, with these very kind of sneakily subversive, well, maybe not that sneakily, but just subversive movies with these very, uh, potent commentaries these social commentaries it, it buried in in the middle of these uh, genre films even if you go back to the host which i think is probably about as early as you can go without you know really hunting down those earlier features but um you know where, where it's uh, on the surface of it it's a giant monster movie and i and i think it i can't remember how close it came out in relation to the uh, that matthew broderick godzilla film but it was it was kind I remember sort of around the time it was like, now this is how you make a monster movie. Yeah, it was a few and, years later, I and, think. And uh, yeah, it, it, I think by by the time it got into our consciousness, uh, it certainly was. Uh, and But it was like, oh, well, you know, here's, you know, they they don't overdo the monster. There's uh, some subtext to this film. You know, there's a whole government conspiracy aspect to it and all that kind of stuff that, that you know, was completely missing from the Roland Emmerich uh, take on it. And it was just like, you know, you've got to have, and that was true of some of the Godzilla movies in the '60s. There were there was some things going on underneath the surface of cute kids and giant monsters. Um, 
that uh, you know maybe weren't so readily apparent at the time, but the host kind of wore it on its sleeve, and and uh, it was clear that this was a filmmaker to watch. Um, and and Parasite is just the latest blossoming of that. Uh, uh, yeah, a lot of comedy and then a lot of darkness. And, uh, you know, the, the other thing we've noticed about these films, like you say, the shifts in tone um, and that no character is too sacred is another <laughs> rule that we've learned that, that um, you know, they, they don't adhere to the save the cat uh, rules of, of Hollywood and, and, you know, that have kind of uh, filtered out there and, and some of the other sort of standbys of, of storytelling. And that's that's why so many of these films have been such a, a, a wonderful uh opportunity to either see for the first time or re- revisit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I love that they are they are so, they mess with those structures uh, so much. And it, it does allow for a, a discovery of, of, of storytelling that we maybe have become a little bit inured to. You know, we, we think we know, especially, I mean, I'm a genre fan. I absolutely like different kinds of genres and I like genres that uh, I like filmmakers that work within genres, but mess with them enough that that it feels fresh, and it's it's a fine line where where uh, a lot of these films cross directly from one genre to another, and then cross back, and and that's also pretty exciting, especially if there's a lot of confidence in the filmmaking. And you, I gotta say um, that uh, Bong Joon Ho's uh, confidence in Parasite is remarkable. Like you just get a sense that he is exactly he's, he's telling exactly the story he wants to tell. And uh, it is, and, and the I, I don't want to talk too much about the plot of this film because it's really about the discovery of it. Um, and it, I think it will welcome future second and third viewings. Like I said, I watched it a second time, and I that's when I really appreciated the emotional impact of the characters' lives and what they were trying to get across and, and, and the kinds of things that happened late in the film. But the universal relevance of this material is white hot. Like, I, I feel like he's saying things about class structures that are maybe happening in South Korea, but they're really happening all across the planet between the people who have a lot and those who have very little. Um, so, yeah, I and, and you know what? Something else I noticed about this film and um, I wanted to say is is uh, is Kang Ho's song, who is the father yes. in this film. <laughs> I mean, basically, this past week has almost been a, a, a film festival around him because he is... He works so much, and I guess he is like the premier leading man in Korean cinema because he is really something, and he's great in everything. So yeah, I can understand why he keeps working. The Tom Hanks of South Korea, or <laughs> yeah, except he works twice as hard, yeah. twice as much as Hanks does these it days. It felt like there was a period where he was just in every a film every six months or something like yeah. that. And I, I think he works uh, even harder because you know he keeps popping up in things and, and in such vastly different characters. He can be like a supremely confident tough guy or he can be like a kind of a, a milk toasty kind of nebbish or, or whatever and uh, I, I just uh, you know I watching him I get the same feeling I did watching discovering someone like Chow Yun-Fat when the killer came out back in uh, you know when that came out in the 80s and I started raging you know raiding the, the local Chinese grocery stores that stocked VHS tapes of badly subtitled <laughs> films from Hong Kong and discovering that yeah, he was in this movie, The Killer, and he was, you know, hold his pistol sideways and did all this kick-ass stuff. But, um, you know, he was also in romantic comedies. He was in historical dramas, and you know, he, he's one of those guys who could do it all. And, um, you know, I find that the, that's the same case here. So, uh, it, you know, this is this has been kind of a pretty interesting journey. I mean, uh, again, re- revisiting films that I'd seen, introducing you to films that you hadn't seen, and and uh, and and kind of delving into things that I'd 
picked up along the way and hadn't actually thrown on yet. Yeah, so yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, discovery on all levels happening here. Uh, and you mentioned the host, which I had seen for the first time this week. It, and Kango's song, he played the father in Parasite, the father of the 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 family on the skids, basically the the con artist family. Here, he's also a father, though a very different character. He's slightly thick, very emotional, um, and his little girl is uh, having he and his little girl is. Playing, spending a lovely day by the Han River, but the girl gets scooped up by an amphibious monster and taken away to his own personal storage compartment in the sewer. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's where the girl is able to call her father, um, and he has been taken away to a decontamination facility with the grandfather, the aunt, and the uncle. So they know the little girl's still alive, so they escape and make every effort to track her down. And that's the movie, basically, is this family trying to reunite while dealing with the authorities who are trying to quarantine anyone who's ever had any contact with this monster and uh, and find and kill the monster. Uh, and there's moments here where the Park family, that's this, this group, this family here, are wildly emotional. And the movie takes every opportunity to sort of make fun of that melodrama. But then it goes into a serious monster movie where there's like there's lots of fear and anxiety and tension that comes from this creature being out there um and the movie takes swipes at americans at other koreans and even people <laughs> there's a scene later in the film where there's a group of people standing in line for a bus and one of them spits in the gutter in the street and the bus comes by and splashes them and they all <laughs> run out of the way because they're so afraid of catching the the virus that is apparently being spread by this monster um you know and and then yeah they talk about polluting corporations and corporate greed so this clearly the filmmaker bong has had this knack for satiric humor and for just you know jabbing at uh, societal issues for a while, and uh, and he does it in this really broad, um, you know, this broad monster movie. One thing I wanted to say about the host as well: I watched some of the bonus materials on the DVD that you loaned me, and there is one sort of whole segment where the filmmaker spends the whole time apologizing to actors who are in deleted scenes who didn't make it into the <laughs> final movie, or other actors whose faces are covered and you can't recognize them. That's the whole segment is him apologizing, <laughs> which I thought was quite lovely. That's kind of like Tarantino apologizing to Tim Roth. Yeah, that's for, for right. leaving him out of. I haven't seen like the longer version of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I gather he does not turn up there either. <laughs> it's like you had another chance and you blew it. But some, some maybe someday we'll get to see mm-hmm. uh, see that footage. But yeah, it's funny you mentioned th- that aspect of the host because I think uh, a common thread through a lot of these films is family structures and um, how important they are, but at the same time how delicate they are and how how families can be torn apart so easily by, uh, you know, by the requirements of daily life or, or distance or industrialization or, or what have you. Like that, that's another theme that seems to run through these films in a big way. I mean, we see it in, in Okja. We see it in, in Man from Nowhere, uh, which is a film we'll talk about uh, in another segment. And um, Secret Sunshine, like the whole family aspect of, of, of things, but not in a Fast and the Furious club you over the head with it right. kind yeah. of way. But but I like that these filmmakers, even though they're they're trying to make genre films that might appeal to a bigger audience outside of South Korea, um, you know there are still these very personal themes that get in there and are well incorporated into the storylines without making it seem uh, forced or uh, or um, 
you know, heavy handed in, in that way. Like, like a lot of these films have child actors who are brilliant, uh-huh. um, which, uh, you know, man from nowhere, the host. And I guess that brings us to, to Okja because, uh, you know, the, the young, uh, the young actor in that film kind of steals the show yeah. you know, as she's taking on this insane adventure from yeah, her farm. You, you in Korea. watched it for the first time this morning. What did I know. you think? What did you think? Of I, oh, I loved it. I, and I, you know, I, I watched it. I mean, I knew, I knew the basic substance of it and, and and how it was kind of going to be across that kind of Snowpiercer satire with the kind of a darker view about uh, industrial food production. Uh-huh. Uh, so I I was curious to see how far it was going to go, and it it went there, and uh, I I just thought it was it was brilliant. It, it was uh, this whirlwind story, um, bringing in so many crucial elements of of, of you know how we're, we should be thinking about where food comes from and where that industry is going. Um, you know, in terms of uh, genetic modification and that kind of thing. And, of course, it just takes the idea of genetically modified crops and takes it to the level of genetically modified animals, which we know is is probably happening in labs, has been for a while. I mean, Kentucky Fried Chicken is probably the biggest uh, example of, you know, maybe weird things we don't want to know about. Uh, but uh, th- this kind of puts it all in our face that, uh, you know, literally and figuratively, um, about what's happening with the the food that we eat but does it in in this kind of um, kind of a fantasy a little maybe just uh, uh a bit futuristic but not very much uh i don't think they give a time frame for it but it does feel like it's happening in the not too distant future like say like five years from now or something like that so which, which is another aspect of it that i liked and and also, uh, you know, it balances. It's it's half Korean, half North American. Um, I love the fact that he's 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 balancing the two cultures um, within the course of this film, and and that he but he doesn't stint on the dark humor side of things. You know, especially with the the um, Tilda Swinton characters, the the, the sisters that run this right. uh, company, and their their kind of ongoing battle, and and the whole kind of you know corporate uh, identity uh, and social media aspect of things gets a pretty good kick in the pants as well. So there's, yeah. a, lot, there's a lot happening in this film that I, that I really uh, felt felt for and agreed with. Yeah, I absolutely did too. I, I really like how it gets to this sort of key hypocrisy of Western civilization that we prioritize some animals as pets and some we eat. And, you know, never that line should be crossed. Well, this is film that explores where that line might be crossed. And... Uh, I, I really did like the casting. Uh, Tilda Swinton, of course, playing twins, and she did that again, also fairly recently in Hail Caesar. It's funny that she's she's being chosen to to be cast in films where she's playing twins. Anyway, um, and and, and uh, Shirley Henderson, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, who's forever cool, and a truly unhinged Jake Gyllenhaal as a TV oh my host. Gosh. Uh, he, yeah, it's really yeah. really something. Um, and of course, Paul Dano, Stephen Yuen, Lily Collins, uh, and this uh, Ang Seo Hyun is is right in the middle there, uh, looking out for her friend, her this super pig, uh, <laughs> or her pet. You know, there it's it's hard to their relationship interesting too uh, and the CGI is generally good enough that the the super pig who is the size of a small elephant is 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 like I'm I, I bought that character I bought that that uh, that CGI creation yeah it, it has I mean they got the feeling of, of as a gigantic animal they, they got the feeling of weight and the scene where it goes, runs amok in the mall the integration of the CGI with things getting shoved and pushed aside and blown you know not blown up but uh, things crashing and so on. Like the the integration between the computer graphics and then the actual live action uh, effects was really well done, I thought. And um, 
uh, you know, yeah, I didn't think for a second that, you know, that there were air guns placed in strategic positions or, mm-hmm. what, you know, all the different ways that they have of, 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 of integrating these, uh, these two, uh, two sides of the FX spectrum. But, um, yeah, I, I, I bought it all. And then the care, and of course they don't overdo, like they're very careful not to make Oksha too humanized. You know, mm-hmm. they're, like they're very careful to make sure that, that the super pig stays an animal, that yeah. it doesn't get overly cute or, or, a, you know, get too human in its facial expressions or whatever. Like, like I feel like a North American filmmaker would have kind of pushed that a little too hard into that realm and just burst burst the bubble entirely. Yeah, yeah. And there's, uh, I mean, it has room for, we're talking about mixing tones. There's some really ripe scatological gags. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a true action sequences that are, I mean, right out of an action movie. Um, and then there's this powerful drama, which I don't know if the intention is to turn you into a vegetarian, but I wouldn't be surprised if you think of Oksha the next time you bite into a pulled pork sandwich. <laughs> Probably not. Welcome back to Lends Me Your Ears. My name is Stephen Cook. I'm Karsten Knox. And today we're taking a fairly scattershot look at South Korean cinema, spurred on by the recent appearance in local cinemas of the film Parasite. Now, uh, there's, I mean, obviously we're just kind of doing a tip of the iceberg look at South Korean film. There's uh, a wide stretch, you know, for, for a country its size, it, it does have an astonishing cinematic output of, of comedies, of, of teen romances, of lots of action thrillers, lots of films about hitmen and, and uh, you know, gangs and, uh, and historical dramas about the Second World War and their battles with the Japanese in the 1940s and, and beyond. And, and, you know, it's, it's a rich and varied cinema and also commercial film industry. And sometimes uh, those cross over, uh, you know, sometimes the things that are more cinematic and artistic become the better known films than the kind of the more commercial stuff that's aimed at the mass market. But uh, you never know in which side of the, of the equation you're going to find uh, a real winner or something really entertaining and something very different. Um, so in the course of this, uh, a lot of it was uh, just kind of going through Netflix and like, just punching in Korean cinema and seeing what came up and and going to the uh, Halifax Library's uh, database to see what they had in their collections. And uh, we've, we've and of course, uh, you know, the two of us going into our mutual uh, collections of, of movies and physical media and so on. And, and uh, I've come up with a lot of titles and a lot of names of filmmakers that were new to us and, and uh, you know, sometimes effective, maybe sometimes not so effective, um, depending on how they handle both uh, conventional genres and, and also themes that might be very specific to South Korea. So it's, it's been a really rewarding journey. This is, like I say, this is just the tip of the iceberg. You might want to do some uh, exploring of your own after you see this. But uh, a name that was, uh, was new to me was um, uh, Lee Chang Dong, a director who's made uh, a handful of films. And his latest is called Burning. It's uh, available on Netflix and uh, and and definitely worth checking out. It's it's uh, it's a different kind of film. I think it's it's got uh, it's it's got a bit of a maybe a, a European flavor to it. I think he's probably heavily influenced by a lot of uh, European filmmakers, uh, you know, modern and and from days gone by. And and I feel it's got a different sensibility uh, in the two films of his that we watched compared to some of the other uh, more genre influenced titles. Uh, his are. are, are very, very direct dramas about people in rural or small towns. I don't think he's quite so interested in, in the big city life of Seoul. He's more interested in people um, on a much more uh, daily, 
you know, daily, day-to-day life kind of basis. I think that's what uh, what he finds interesting in, in, in characters that are going through a real struggle of some sort. So in um, in Burning, we have a young man named uh, Ahin Yu. He's, uh, he lives on a farm that uh, belongs to his dad, but his dad is uh, in custody, uh, police custody, while undergoing a trial for assault because he has anger issues, and he puts somebody in the hospital for six weeks. So he's, he's trying to take care of the family farm, um, uh, but living this kind of listless existence. And he, he encounters a, a friend of his from... Um, from high school named, named uh, Jaime and she's working as kind of a, a model dancer that kind of lures people into shops uh, <laughs> I guess is the best way to describe it She, uh, we later meet her friend and they're dancing at some um, exhibition or some sort of uh, county fair or something like that and and she he's, he's kind of looking at her like he knows her and then she calls him out and says, don't you recognize me from school? We went to school together, but she's had plastic surgery to make herself look pretty, I guess, uh, or so she says. And so he's got to uh, kind of dredge up all these memories from, from you know, probably not that long ago. They, uh, they all seem like they're in their early 20s. And, um, you know, he's lived this kind of solitary, lonely existence living on the farm. And here's this young woman who's kind of interested in him and then asks him to look after her cat while she goes off to Africa to find... Uh, uh, what's she called spirit not uh there's the two types of hunger there's like little little hunger and great Great hunger hunger. yeah and uh, she wants to have kind of a spiritual adventure in in africa so he agrees to stay behind and look after her cat that he never sees (laughs) even though she lives in the smallest apartment ever Um, yeah like basically a one-room apartment she's clearly got a cat because he feeds it the food's gone and the litter box is full so there must be a cat um and then uh and they also uh they also have a sexual encounter right before she leaves and so he, of course, spends the whole time, you know, longing for her to return. Uh, unfortunately, she returns with a new boyfriend who's uh, kind of a rich, uh, listless character named uh, named Ben. And he's got, uh, and, and played he, by Stephen Ewan, yeah, who, who, who's very who, familiar with yeah, He's I, also in Okja. Okja, yeah, and we've mentioned him before. He's, I mean, I think a lot of people know him from Walking Dead. That's yes. probably his most high-profile role. Um, so, so here he's playing this guy who's kind of, you know, he's kind of a, a laid-back, a uh, man of no apparent means who has a really nice apartment and drives a Porsche and seems to be a bit of a sociopath <laughs> um, who one night uh, while they're at, they're all hanging out together at the farm, he reveals uh, to the other boy that he likes to burn down greenhouses. <laughs> he likes to pour them, cover them well, every couple of months, not too often, but every couple of months he likes to go out into the countryside, find a greenhouse um, and set it on fire. And that's like the one thing that brings him joy apparently. And so, um, so our, uh, our farm boy, uh, Lee, Lee Jong-soo, gets recruited into uh, scouting out ideal uh, greenhouse locations. Um, so that's kind of the arrangement, this kind of love triangle, if you will. Um, and, but then, um, uh, then uh, uh, Jaime disappears, and mm-hmm. we, we don't know what happened to her. And uh, it's, Do you, do you want to say any more, Stephen? I think we're starting I, to get yeah, into the, and then And so anyway, that, the that leads into the third act. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 yeah, anyway, spoiler spoiler warning. Well, that's well, you know, something's got to happen. So yeah. that's 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 sort of the catalyst for what happens uh, ultimately. But uh, but it, it is kind of part mystery. Uh, there is that class consciousness between um, the two young people from the small town and this kind of slick city guy who uh, also has a is, is kind of mysterious. Doesn't reveal too much about himself, but seems to be 
you know, capable of just about anything when he reveals that uh, he likes to watch things burn. So uh-huh. uh, that's that's kind of the setup for it. Uh, and it's it kind of takes its time. It's uh, it's a visually beautiful film. Uh, I really like the performances by the the three actors. And uh, and again, it's one of those films where you really don't know where it's headed at yeah. any point in the film, and and you you kind of have to have a, a bit of patience to watch it unwind. But it, it really is worth it to to see how these characters interact, and it doesn't necessarily go where you think it's going to go. Yeah, I I agree on all fronts. There, uh, it is it is challenging in its deliberate pace. I'll say that it's it's a long film. Uh, but it's also a mystery, basically. It's a, the lead character is a bit of a mystery to himself and to us. Uh, and it's not very plot-driven, this, this story. It's largely about characters. Uh, and, you know, it's funny. One thing I learned about Lee Chang-dong, the filmmaker, he's a director. He's also apparently a novelist and former minister of culture. Oh, wow. So <laughs> he has this, this, this background. Um, and, uh, you know, he doesn't make films very often. But when he does... You're like that European sensibility. I definitely felt it in in this film, and uh, in, in, inspired by French cinema, or even someone like a less violent Lars von Trier. Though there is <laughs> yes, there I is violence so. in his films. Um, I, I I came out of Burning feeling like it's a beautiful movie to look at. The young actors are all great. They're really you know, they're gorgeous. They're all fetching. Um, but what is it really about? Is it about the unreliability of memory? Is it about class again? Because that protagonist, the young man living on the farm, definitely feels insecure about his status opposite the other guy who drives the Porsche. Um, and I just, I was, I felt completely uncertain. It's not too often I watch a movie and just don't have really any sense what it's really about uh, as much as I enjoy burning. So I did the thing which I try not to do too often, which is to go online and look <laughs> at reviews before I'd really settled on my own opinion. And I I noticed that words like simmering were used and slow burn suspense and intriguing enigma. So in other words, lots of people don't really know what this is about. <laughs> I, I find that, that when critics and film writers use words like that, they are basically showing that they're not they're 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 not really getting what it's about either which is fine you know i think it's fine to see movies that you don't really know what it's about but you get an emotional hit off of um so yeah i um you know and i i think that that the central mystery is still sort of hanging there and i was okay with that i think it's I think it's a strong film anyway, and it got some great responses and, and uh, was, was quite a, a cult sensation in the, on the festival circuit in 2018 when it came out. Now, you had given me a film that you'd picked up from the library called yes. Secret Sunshine, and that's when I realized, oh, this is also from the same filmmaker, Lee Chang Dong. And Secret Sunshine won an award at Cannes when it came out in 2010 um, for its lead actor. Jian Du Yan and I. I apologize for my pronunciation on all these names um, uh, because I'm really not 100% sure I'm getting it right. But but uh, she is an astonishing force in this film, Secret Sunshine, which is a really beautiful film. But boy, is it grim! Um, And it's about a woman who moves from Seoul to a much smaller city uh, where her late husband was born, and he died in a car accident. She explains. So she moves there with her young son. Because it was her late husband's dream that they move there and and her son be and their son be brought up there in a in a place where he can really feel the ground beneath his feet. Uh, now again, Song Kang Ho appears or Kang Ho Song, excuse me, um, as the fa- he's the father from Parasite and uh, he's in this as a mechanic who helps this woman out with her car and then befriends her when she arrives. He's clearly sort of holding a torch for her 
but she doesn't seem interested in him, but he's always there for her. Um, and then her son is abducted, and things just get worse from there. And as I mentioned, the performance is amazing. It's more or less sort of like a, a story, like, you know, the sort of a Book of Job-like, almost biblical story about a woman who yeah, bad things bad happen to her. And what she does, she turns to faith in order to find a way to deal with her grief and uh, even her faith sort of lets her down at a certain point. And uh, it really is exploring what life means when you're faced with unbearable grief. And uh, it's powerful stuff. But wow. Yeah, it's a- also unrelenting. Yeah, uh, this, uh, again, I I watched a trailer for this. I read a, a summary of it. it. It gets kind of pitched as a mystery about this kidnapped boy. But the, the kidnapped son is really just the linchpin on which everything turns in the film. It, it's not about, you know, it's not a prime suspect kind of thing. We have to find that boy kind of thing it, at all. It's it's about the mother and, and what, uh, you know, when the film starts out, you know, she and her son, they have a beautiful relationship. You know, he's, he's a good kid, a little mischievous, but, um, and she seems very confident. She's happy to be moving back to her late husband's uh, hometown because she has these fond memories of, of living there or of, of visiting it. And, um, you know, she's going to open up her piano teaching uh, school and everything's going great. And uh, and then just everything turns on a dime. And it's 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 heartbreaking, really, to watch this happen. And, and even, you know, she, she finds faith. And, and, and I felt it was very realistic in its treatment of that as well, in terms of the, the people who, who kind of get her into going to church and all that, the... the um, it's you know it's evangelical without being too proselytizing, and then that there's the, the the Bible meetings and all this kind of stuff, and it's all very familiar to things that I grew up with when I'm attending church, uh, going to the United Baptist Church as a kid and uh, and a young adult, and and I felt that was treated with a certain amount of respect. Uh-huh. It doesn't ridicule the uh, the Christians really. Um, it's kind of interesting when her friend the mechanic uh, tries to tag along. <laughs> He he tries to get into going to church because he just wants to be near her, and he he figures she'll turn around eventually. It's that kind of ultimate sort of friend zone. uh, I used air quotes there, by the way. Uh, Kind of, of, it's not my favorite phrase in the world, but uh, but that's kind of what it is. You know, he he wants it. He wants to be her friend, but he wants it to be more. And she's clearly clearly not interested. Um, And you know, she gives such an amazing performance. when uh, when everything just com- completely breaks down and, and it's yeah again I don't want to say too much because like I say like we've said it's it's a mystery that's not about the mystery which yeah. I, I like films like that can do that that can maybe lure you in with the promise of a juicy whodunit and then give you something completely different in fact I watched this before I watched Burning without even knowing they were the same director I just, yeah they were just in the pile of films that I'd managed to accrue and and yet I can see the similarities the small town settings um, you know the characters who, who go through this uh, very crucial life change, um, you know, dealing with grief or with loss or, you know, unexplained loss, uh, you know, where things, you, you know, they, t- they tell you, like, in faith and in church, everything happens for a reason. It's part of God's plan. And you're like, well, you know, what kind of plan is that? <laughs> it seems like a really horrible, horrible plan. Um, so... Uh, I think I like Secret Sunshine a little bit more than Burning, uh, maybe maybe because of that strong uh, central performance by uh, Jean Doyun. But uh, 
but I, I, they're still both uh, highly enjoyable, highly watchable. I, I think Secret Sunshine has a slight edge, and it's uh, it's out through the Criterion Collection, and I got my copy from the Halifax Regional Library. They have it on Blu-ray and DVD, um, and I highly recommend seeking that one out. Welcome back to Lends Me Your Ears uh, as we move into the third segment of our show on South Korean cinema. My name's Karsten Knox. My name's... <laughs> Sorry. I was writing things down. Um and my name's Stephen Cook. Now, uh, it feels like it would be a, a, a problem if we uh, talked about South Korean cinema and didn't mention, at least in some capacity, Park Chan-wook, who may be the most successful South Korean filmmaker to, in terms of, of global uh, attention. He is the filmmaker behind a picture called Old Boy, which uh, back in the early 2000s was a major action hit worldwide, I think. A lot of people talked about the uh, cinema of Old Boy and how it, it was changing action cinema and it was doing something really new and fresh. He went on to make other films like Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Lady Vengeance, I'm a Cyborg, but that's okay. Um, I think the first I saw Old Boy. I think I saw it maybe at the um, at the old Oxford Cinema. Yeah, uh, I feel like there. It, I mean, it it did get a for a, you know for a genre film from South Korea. It got a pretty wide release. And, yeah. and got a lot of attention. It was even remade by Spike Lee with diminishing results. Yes, yeah. Um, and then the, you know I saw Thirst, which is his vampire movie from 2007, which uh, uh, again again Kang Kang Ho Song is is in it, uh, and that I liked some of. Uh, there was also Stoker, which was his first actual uh, film in, uh, I think it was fully in English, and uh, it sort of like a little, which was a little bit like a Dark Shadows episode played totally straight, kind of a gothic, self-conscious Hitchcock pastiche uh, that sort of dances on the edge of camp, but becomes, it, it's it's one of those cases, I think, where a filmmaker who's comfortable working in different tones and genres makes a film in North America and uh, the, then that the management of tone sort of go to, goes out the window, and it seems really strange in a in a North American film. Uh, some of that, some of those. I mean, you know, we accept a certain amount of cliches of different cinemas depending on on the kind of movie it is. But but we notice, I've noticed this happening with with other filmmakers who come to Hollywood and apply a kind of sensibility from their own culture to Hollywood, and it, it matches weirdly. You know, uh, famously, John Woo, the great Hong Kong action filmmaker, had struggled in Hollywood to make a film that was as good as the ones he made back in China. Um, so, uh, but you know what I wanted to say here, Stephen, was uh, I went back into my vault and um, I found uh, that maybe maybe his most critically acclaimed film of recent years is Handmaiden. And I wanted to quote a very wise critic, a local critic who said this about Handmaiden. <laughs> There's so little erotic cinema out there to see it done with such style in a th- thriller format. Normally you go to see a Lars von Trier film and you never want to have sex again. In this case, the filmmaker took it in a whole other direction. Look at this thing. It's so lush and cinematic. I saw it at the Atlantic Film Festival. Anytime something amazing happened, you could hear local cameraman Jeff Wheaton somewhere in the back yelling, Cinema! It was great. Really enjoyable. I I saw it with producer Rob Cotterell, and we were both sitting there with our jaws open, given what we were seeing on the screen. It's really a big screen movie, and that, 
friends, uh, listeners, was Stephen Cook. <laughs> That's true. I yeah, my the, Jeff standing up and yelling "cinema" at the very end is one of my all-time favorite movie occurrences. <laughs> you know, on, off-the-screen movie occurrences. Uh-huh. It, it's it's right up there with uh, seeing the Halifax shot movie um, Siege in a theater that was actually used as a location in the movie itself. So you're watching the building you're in uh, on the screen as you know, you're in it and the bad guys are coming in the front door in the movie and you're looking at the door of the theater wondering if they're coming up the stairs or not. But but uh but that that uh that that will run a second place to that. But right. still thanks to Jeff for that <laughs> one, wonderful memory and uh you know that that kind of nails this uh film in my mind and um and I, I I haven't watched it since that festival screening a couple of years ago, but uh I I have procured a uh, British Blu-ray, which is a longer cut of the film, which unfortunately I wasn't didn't have time to watch prior to this broadcast. But I I just remember that film being so lush and you know just you know if you want a film that creates a world that you can just sink right into, uh, this is definitely one of those films. Uh, you know it's it's occupation, it's Korea when it was uh, occupied by the Japanese, and I think the late 30s, but maybe even before the the Second World War really kicked into high gear and. Um, uh, a young Korean woman becomes handmaiden to a Japanese heiress who's, I, I can't remember if she's like the wife of an ambassador or what, but she's living on this estate in Korea. And she's uh, ostensibly there to be a servant, but she has uh, other plans. She's actually there uh, working with an outside uh, con artist to uh, swindle this heiress out of her fortune. And uh, and things just go from, take one turn to another. And at some point I gave up even trying to guess where things were going to go because you just can't with this film. Uh, and it plus you're, you're just so awestruck by the, the period recreation, the, this, uh, gorgeous mansion, the beautiful library, the glossy cars, uh, the incredibly attractive cast, uh, this film, like it's just, it's a real feast for the eyes as well as a uh, charge for the senses. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, you know, it's one thing I wanted to say also in terms of looking for themes or things in uh, South Korean cinema that really grabbed me while watching them. And uh, they're uh, not uh, modest about erotic uh, moments and sex in their films as well. And this is something that uh, that is actually a little bit refreshing. I, I enjoy seeing, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't enjoy seeing a certain amount of sexual content uh to to make a, a film really uh, work and really sizzle and uh, and certainly the handmaiden has plenty of that. Um, so Stephen, I wanted to uh, to ask. We watched something to to sort of clumsily segue um, <laughs> sure. to uh, to the. We watched the Man from Nowhere. Yes, which uh, was a thriller that I knew nothing about. It's by uh, directed by Lee Jiang Biom, and. Uh, it's what struck me about it was had it really seemed indebted to Keanu Reeves and John Wick in the look and in the the elements of action in it. This is an action thriller, uh, and then I discovered that this film came out in 2010, four years before John Wick. <laughs> yeah. So I'm wondering now whether or not Wick uh, was inspired by some of the things that go on in The Man from Nowhere. I I, I think it's definitely an influence on that film, and I feel like. Uh... I don't know how acknowledged it is, but this is a film. I don't know that it had much of a theatrical release in North America or elsewhere outside of South Korea, but it's definitely a film that has earned a big following on home video. And uh, it's, it's yeah, it's like a nonstop uh, revenge film with a, with a, a central character who's very much, you know, he wears black suits and has a very distinctive haircut and, uh, and just cuts a swath through this, uh, this drug lord's gang in, uh, I guess, in Seoul. Um, 
you know, to rescue the little girl that lived next door. So instead of, instead of you killed my dog, it's like, where's that little girl that I was so fond of? You know, the mother, the mother, uh, is a, is a, I guess a stripper, I guess, or a showgirl, uh, works in one of the gangsters' nightclubs, and she steals some drugs from him. And uh, in the middle of a drug raid, because um, this is there's this interesting three-way uh, um, kind of structure between the police, uh, the 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 drug lords, and the gangs, and then the uh, the uh, the hitman, or the you know, we find out he's pretty early on. I think we realize that this guy is not just a pawn shop owner; that he's yeah. got some special skills. Special skills. That indeed. he's a, he's yeah. a special yeah. forces kind of guy, and um, yeah, and it kind of plays out like a, a like a like he's a, the weird um, cousin of John Wick, just doing his thing on the other side of the globe, uh, and uh, you know, he takes some serious hits and stabs and bullets and. Uh, he takes a lot of punishment over the course of this film, and and you know I, I think that the the film has got a, a lot of attention on certain levels for for the way the action scenes are staged. Um, you know that the, they're never really staged the same way twice, and and uh, I think uh, the Wick series has taken something from that. It's hard to say. I'm sure there's somewhere there's printed up some uh, some uh, commentary on uh, to that fact, but it's just right there in front of your eyes, pretty much throughout the whole film. Yeah, and uh, it's funny how you know this guy who ran this thrift shop in an apartment building that doesn't look like it's zoned for uh, for business at all. Um, you know, it looks like it could have been just any apartment building in Seoul. But uh, anyway, when the, he's hanging out with his little girl, he's actually not very nice to her. It doesn't you don't get any sense that he likes her at all. But he feels some kind of duty or honor that when she is abducted he has to step in and use his special skills. And uh, it's really done very well because for the first part of the film, you don't really see what his gifts are as an action hero. The, you just, you see the the aftermath of, of what he has done, yes. <laughs> you know? You see all the men lying around groaning and moaning because they got broken arms and, you know, uh, and they've been stabbed multiple times. Uh, but then you see, like, security footage of what he is doing, and it's, like, amazing. He's quite physically gifted. Uh, and then, you know, another thing about this film is that the masculine tropes are really funny. The the tough guys are very over the top. And that's something I've noticed about some of these more genre pictures, more action pictures, is that the uh, the sort of the, the, the guys who are supposed to be the, the heavies are always wearing, you know, they wear the black, they sneer, they couldn't be more evil. Like there isn't, there, there's no like middle ground for, for a lot of the bad guys. And the good guys are, are just taciturn you know, strong, silent types, very handsome. And, uh, but you know, the, a lot of that kind of stuff is actually, it it seems a little hokey from our perspective, but, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing that American action cinema sort of got rid of after the eighties because it was just seemed as too cheesy, too many, um, you know, Sylvester Stallone and Cobra kind of movies. Yeah. yeah, This embraces it. it. (laughs) Or this really embraces it. Yeah. Um, but I really, uh, enjoyed the action sequences, as you mentioned, really strong. Uh, There's a great wit, and an interesting sort of subtext of bigotry between the Koreans and the Chinese. It was all, I think, pretty impressive. I think The Man from Nowhere is something action fans should seek out. Yeah, well, that, that, of course, that continues. Handmaiden's uh, portrayal of the very uh, contemptuous relationship between Koreans and Japanese, you know, which lingered long after the war was over. Um, and now it's now that's sort of shifted to Korea and modern-day China, you know, as they're, they're both fighting to be global economic powers. And, and uh, yeah, I like... Uh, this this does kind of make 
fun of, I guess, toxic masculinity in a way, because, uh, you know, I get the feeling that that uh, sexual politics in South Korea are are still sort of in an ongoing state of flux as they are everywhere, really. But, um, you know, I, I have a friend who grew up in Seoul who, you know, basically left the country because of just it was so retrograde when she lived there in the late 80s, early 90s. And, and obviously things have come a long way since then. But but, uh, you know, she told me that a lot of people still had attitudes that would we would consider to be very 1950s, mm. you know, 30, 30 odd years later. So, uh, you know, I think we're also seeing that kind of scattered throughout these films in a way as, as the country's trying to catch up. Uh, in, in terms of how people relate to each other um, as, as they become more prominent on the global stage and, and more attuned to, to ways of other parts of Asia as well as, as the West. And, and, and that's another interesting thing to keep in mind when you're going back and watching these films. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and one other that you recommended I watched, I found on Netflix last night, which is The Villainess, speaking of action films and speaking of John Wick. Yes. Uh, the Villainess came out in 20, 2017. So I think you could fair, it's fair to say it was inspired by Wick, but it's also inspired by Old Boy. It opens with, uh, with a, a scene um, wherein uh, the filmmakers probably looked at Old Boy, especially that fight sequence in the hallway in Old yes, Boy, very much. and thought, okay, this would be better if it was done from point of view. And so that's what they do. So the opening segment is just one long shot uh, where you're sort of standing in the sort of first-person shooter of this person who's cutting a swath through a bunch of, of men in white shirts and black suits and basically, you know, uh, stabbing them and uh, adding a lot of red to their ensemble. Um, in some ways, this film is more jittery and intense than John Wick as we jump backwards and forwards in time to explore the life of a woman who was trained as an assassin as a child, but later in life is captured by the South Korean intelligence agency where she becomes one of theirs, them, and she excels in any and all forms of combat, eventually going undercover as an actor. This is a complicated plot especially by the fact that our new recruit also has a child. Um, but m- a lot of this will be familiar to anyone who remembers Luc Besson's La Femme Nikita. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely borrowed parts. Yes. But then does it with so much just energy and, and style that you don't really mind so much. Yeah, the, the swooping vertiginous camera work is not a far cry from the Russian action picture Hardcore Henry. Um, I mean, the drama is fairly melodramatic and hackneyed in some ways, but, you know, if you're an action fan, this uh, is really something to see, especially if there's a final fight on a speeding bus that's really amazing. Um, so I'm glad you recommended that to me. Yeah, like I, like I feel like the motorcycle chase scene in this may have because there's one very similar yes. to it in John Wick 3, three. Yeah. And, and yeah but this film predates that so I you know I feel like uh you know these things get borrowed from different places and get passed on and passed back and that kind of thing you know the um kind of the way that John Woo took you know American action cliches ramped them up um you know times 100 and then that his style started getting copied by everyone back in North America right. with varying degrees of success. I feel like maybe the same thing's happening now with Korean uh, action films. Yeah, it's going back and forth, this this kind of sharing of style. Yeah, I feel um, like a dope. I bought a, a UK Blu-ray of this, and I could have just watched it on Netflix. But that's, that's <laughs> the perils of collecting uh, you know, physical media these yeah. days. Yeah. Um, but I definitely feel, because the plot is so labyrinth, and as you're trying to figure out what her past is and what her motivation is, um, and the way they jump back and forth, I feel like it's definitely worth a rewatch just to 
kind of nail down all those plot points yeah, all the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in terms of other genres, there's a zombie picture I can really recommend called Train to Busan from 2016. That's a really thrilling zombie uh, movie, which I has got to be, I'm sure someone is thinking about remaking it in the United States. Uh, and uh, you also suggested The Good, The Bad, yes. and The Weird, which is subtitled Oriental Western, which I thought was kind of funny. It's kind of a sweet ode to Sergio Leone and Steven Spielberg, all set in Manchuria in the 1930s. A lot of zip-bang energy to it, though it's all a little bit ridiculous, too. Um, you know, the weird is the thief played once again by <laughs> uh, Kango's song, uh, who comes across the MacGuffin that everyone wants. It's in the hands of a Japanese army on a train, and that's a map to ancient Chinese treasure. And there's a killer wearing a lot of black leather with a diagonal hair across the face, and that's the bad. And then the good is a bounty hunter trying to catch... Uh, the thief, and you know it's it's funny. It's pretty violent for what could have been otherwise family entertainment. But yeah, then it's like Raiders of the Lost Ark with way more squibs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, you know, in that regard, it's it's hard to judge. You know, I think what we consider family entertainment and what other cinemas globally consider family entertainment very different things. Um, but I was glad to stumble upon it because it's it's actually a lot of fun. Yeah, it's directed by Ji Woon Sung or Jiwoon Kim, rather, uh, who made a, a terrific uh, ghost film called A Tale of Two Sisters, which is not nearly, it, does, it doesn't have the manic pacing and just the relentless energy of the good, the bad, and the weird at all. It's, it's a very different film in terms of tone, but it's, it's one of the better ghost stories of recent years. I feel like there has either been a remake of it made in English or there have been attempts to remake it in English, but I, I find that... Uh, I find like the original is is always the way to go with these kind of things, uh, especially with uh, with with a ghost story. When you because of course every country has their own different ghost story traditions, and and this uh, draws on on Korea's in, in a way that you know maybe it, it might be tough getting into it because it's from a, a different kind of uh, background, a different kind of setting. But it's a very rewarding film. It it kind of takes its time building up to this sense of dread. Um, and trying to figure out like who's a ghost and you know is, is that person actually living or dead and, and so on and it's of course very lush in its visuals and I recommend checking that one out as well. Um, yeah, like I said, there, there's a ton of stuff at the library here in Halifax if you're lucky enough to live close to uh, to the uh, HRM's uh, library system. You just type in Korean cinema, you almost can't go wrong with uh, with any of these titles. I've got a stack of them that I haven't actually had a chance to watch yet, but I'm really looking forward to. There's a, a director. Uh, we watched uh, an early film by this director, Kim Ki-duk, um, which uh, we had differing opinions on called The Isle. Oh, um, yeah, it, right, right. Which, uh, he, his films, they, they're a bit sour. They're kind of grim. Um, you know, th that film is not re readily available, so we're not going to really talk about that one, but it's, it's kind of violent and it's and it sexist sexist and <laughs> that an was my problem animalist but two two of his later films uh, mobius and three iron uh, are available at the library and they 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 take kind of a thriller tone but also look at family structure and and uh and revenge uh, mobius is about a, a woman's revenge against her disloyal husband and disinterested son uh and it looks to be fairly savage so <laughs> i'm gonna watch that with uh, which clenched with clenched teeth probably when uh, when i get around to that one so uh uh also what uh i'm a cyborg but that's okay there's another one that looks really really interesting about a young woman who decides that she's actually a robot and uh she gets um, confined to a psychiatric institution where um, 
there's some evil things going on under the surface, and and she decides to use her cyborg skills to get to the bottom of it. So, yeah, again, uh, these films with just unbelievable plot twists and that 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 uh, do not uh, do what's normally expected of them uh, is is really part of the charm of this uh, this country cinema. And that has been another episode of Lends Me Your Ears, the film podcast. And I hope you've enjoyed our fairly uh, just scratching the surface of the cinema of South Korea, um, you know, inspired by having seen Parasite in cinemas now. And boy, is it a good movie. And I'd really recommend everyone check that out if you haven't had a chance. Now, if you want to reach out to us here on Lends Me Your Ears, we are on Facebook. We are also on Twitter. Twitter, we have the uh, Lends Me Your Ears account on Twitter. And Stephen, you also have your own Twitter handle. Yes, I'm at NS underscore S-C-O-O-K-E. And my Twitter uh, handle is named after my blog. It's Flaw in the Iris. Um, Lens Me Your Ears also has a Patreon account, so you can check that out if you'd like to support us and what we do here. We would very much appreciate that. Many, many thanks to CKDU for the studio facilities and for airing this show every second Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. And thanks to our producers at the Village Soundcast Network for all that you do from the uh, crossing the T's and dotting the I's to adding the music. Uh, great music by Gypsophilia. Thank you so much for listening to Lens Me Your Ears, and uh, we'll be talking about movies again to you very soon. See you next time. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production. <laughs>